All right, so that is the last time that we have to hear that incredibly depressing introduction music. Thank goodness. We have made it to the final installment of Collapse. And um, we've been journeying through the book of Lamentations. Now, Lamentations comes from the word that gets translated how. It opens the book of Lamentations and almost all of the chapters start with that same word. So what gets translated as how is actually the, the, the root in there through several other iterations actually um, leads to the word lamentations. And it's asking the question, how could this be? How could this have happened? How did we get here? We've all been there, be it a tragedy that happens halfway around the world or a brokenness that happens in our own lives, right? Sometimes it's a storm. Sometimes it's a broken relationship. Sometimes it's insert whatever causes you despair and sadness and tragedy. And what we've learned as we've been going through the book of Lamentations is that there needs to be a space because we don't often have that in our world and especially not in the church. We're supposed to walk in with our happy face on and God has made everything sweet in our lives and there is nothing wrong, right? But it's not true. And so what we get to do is when we get to lament, right, we create this space to be healthy and truthful and honest about what's going on in our lives and what that does when we begin to create that space and name it and claim it not only do we rob that sadness that despair that problem that sin that addiction that brokenness do we rob it of its power but in naming the problem it's actually a form of prayer because we get to say, this is not the way the world should be. And the mere fact that we can say, this is the way it is, and this is the way it should be, and that discrepancy is an invitation for God to do something. It's a prayer. And so we get to pour our heart out. Now, we've gotten to focus on some key ideas, some very simple ideas like, God sees our plight, and God hears our prayers. In fact, we, for several weeks, we stuck prayers in this homemade wailing wall, and we wailed and we put them before God, inviting God to see and hear. And then in chapter 3, we dared to hope. We dared to hope, and we learned that through honesty, and sadness, we, when we actually embrace our brokenness, we get to find a deeper joy on the other side. And last week, we got to share our lens with each other. And we learned that if we stay in lamentation too long, it leads to bitterness in us because our perspective becomes completely skewed, it leads to depression and bitterness. So we get to move 
from Lamentations into something different, which brings us to today. Um, we're going to be looking at moving past shame and fear and seeing the collapse of lament with the knowledge of Christ. Now, it's interesting to me because when we, um, when we lament things that are wrong, right, when we begin expressing things that are broken and that are wrong, uh, that things that make us sad, things that are tragic, we get to lament. Sometimes we lament for ourselves, and sometimes we lament because of others or for others, what other people have done or what other people are going through. But there's something about this process of lamenting that is uniquely tied to memory. There's something connected about memory and lamenting. So the prayer in chapter 5, it, uh, it starts with this call to be remembered. And it hits on these key ideas that we've been talking about throughout the series, to be seen and to be heard. So I wanted to start with this story. Before we jump into chapter 5, I want to start with this story. I was recently doing some premarital counseling. And um, the, you know, the, the couple that was involved, one of the members in the betrothal, um, kind of shut down. And they just stopped sharing. They were just quiet, and they wouldn't speak up. And when, when we created some space for them to finally open up and come clean, and by the way, there's all kinds of reasons why people shut down, isn't there? Right? You, have you ever been there? Are you a shutter downer? Is that your defense mechanism? You get angry, you just stop talking. You don't engage. You withdraw. I'm describing some people. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, there's all kinds of reasons why someone's going through something difficult or frustrating to shut down. But they, they wouldn't speak up. And when we finally got them to, what came out was ultimately they didn't want to share because they didn't feel or trust as though they would be heard. I wonder if we do the same thing with God. That we fail to share. We fail to be real because we're not always trusting that God will hear us. You see, fear and shame are uniquely tied to this process of health and healing and hope and lamenting. And they play a role when we lament. They play, fear and shame play this role in how we heal and how we find hope on the other side. So the final chapter in, in verse 1, it opens up with this, this petition. It says, remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Now, disgrace is another word for shame. And shame is this deep, seated this deeply rooted primal feeling about being or feeling unworthy of love or anything good have you ever felt shame 
what do I have? In fact, it's the very first response to brokenness captured in the scripture is shame. It's a powerful, powerful feeling. It's what caused Adam and Eve to try to hide from God because we don't often want to see, let people see our brokenness and our shame. So I want to bring up um, my good friend Michelle. Um, Michelle, thank you for being here. She has sick kids at home, so her husband is home with the kids this morning. And if you didn't know this, Michelle is like a few hours away from being a licensed uh, clinical counselor. Um, she has a master's degree. She's actively practicing in Austin, um, doing clinical therapy. And um, she is kind of my resident go-to when I want to talk about psychological things because she has the knowledge, and why not use that and, and share that? And, um, and so by the time this chapter gets to verse 16, it says this. The garlands have, or the crown has, fallen from our heads. Weep for us because we have sinned. In other words, the face, the beauty, the, the splendor, the, the, the thing that I portray, the thing that defines me is no longer there. I'm just broken. It's fallen from me. I've fallen, and that's a very shameful place to be, and so this description um, is difficult, and so I called you, and we started talking about Dr. Brene Brown and what shame does, and so can you just talk to us about what shame um, would do to us in relationship when we're feeling that? What does it cause internally in us? Yeah, well, it, um, I think that shame causes people to like what you said, shut down. Um, we don't really want to expose those vulnerable places. It's a very vulnerable place to say, I'm hurting or I'm broken. And so um, we often, either through a broken relationship or um, something that's happened to us in our lives, we don't want to share that. And so um, we feel like we're not good enough or we should we should be able to overcome this by ourselves or we should be able to get through this or um, we should just be able to put on a happy face. And so then um, the shame becomes deeper seated because we're not really known. Um, Dr. Brene Brown, um, when we were talking about this, she says she's kind of a shame expert out there. I'm, I'm, I don't really know all the psychological superstars. Um, but apparently she's one of them that's well-versed. Well she said that shame cannot exist, number one, when it is spoken about, and number two, when it meets empathy. Um, so how does that, when it's spoken about or when it meets empathy, how does that help resolve some of what's going on there? Well, I think that, um, well, not I think, the Bible talks about us being created to be known. We want to be known by God. We want to be known by the other people who are in our lives and relationship. And we find um, not identity, but we find meaning in relationship. And we find um, our value and identity in our relationship with God. And so if 
um, we're truly able to um, come before the Lord and come before others and speak about um, our shame when often that can be met with truth instead of um, this cycle of recurring um, thought processes that constantly remind us that we're not good enough. And so we become heal, we can find healing through um, relationship, whether it's truth um, in God's word about who we are and who we were created to be, or through others who, when you say, hey, I'm going through this, or I feel this way, a lot of times we don't think that other people actually feel the way that we do or go through what we do. And so, um, so you know, if I say, hey, I'm hurting because of this, or I often feel this way in relationship, or this happened to me, then it gives the opportunity for somebody else to say, me too. And then that can remove that aloneness and help us to feel more known. Yeah, so in other words, um, when we lament, when we, when we speak up, we're inviting this trust of God to see us, to hear us, and we're trusting that when we share our lens, right, this is my experience, this is my brokenness, this is what happened to me um, with someone else. We're actually trusting that we'll be met with love and empathy. But that's not everyone's experience in the church, is it? Um, a lot of people feel like God's just going to judge them or that if they were real with people in the church that they somehow like, you know, oh, they're totally going to kick me out kind of feeling. Anybody been there? Um, so when it's when it is working lamenting and, and, and sharing helps us with perspective and moves past our emotion. Would you say that's true? So how does it, how does it help close that gap other than um, if there's anything that you want to add to that other than what you've said? How does it help close that like emotion gap um, where we've, we're stuck in our emotion rather than moving past that? I think um, that emotion is powerful, but we can't live on emotion. And so it opens the door for um, truth to replace what the, the lie that some of our, like, shame will just tell you and beat you up and say, you're not good enough. But we know that we were created in God's image, and we know that we... Um, we have a God who can understand. He's not some foreign um, being who can't relate with our troubles and our hardships. And so um, I think that the, the healing comes, the gap is closed when we replace truth, truthful beliefs about ourselves and about others with um, what was once shown and broken. Awesome. Thank you. Give it up for Michelle. And by the way, that took guts for her because she's not like an upfront, in front of people person most of the time. And so this was like a powerful moment. Thank you. I'm feeling really good about it. So when it's, when it's working, lamenting helps us with perspective and live in facts, live in truth rather than emotions. And so this prayer in chapter 5 
what it's ultimately doing is it's exposing some things. Our fear and our shame may actually be helping us. I'll give you an example. Um, when my son has done something wrong, he will start with this phrase, I don't know if I should tell you this. Right? Because he's been living with something and he knows he's done something wrong. And so that, that feeling of shame and that fear that he's experiencing, on the one hand, can be healthy because it's exposing a reality, right? It helps us see where we may have gone wrong. So when we're ashamed of someone else's actions, how could they do that? How could that be? Or when we're ashamed of our own actions, how could we have done that? On the one hand, it might be exposing something that needs to be addressed. But if we only live there, we can really miss it. So it allows us to express a raw reality. Um, when I was getting my master's degree, I was a project manager for a construction company. And I did lots of roofing uh, and insurance claim construction from storm damage. And I, I, I had this one client who had a 6,000-plus square foot McMansion in Prosper, Texas. If you don't know where Prosper, Texas, it's the part of the DFW metro where, like, Deion Sanders has his mansion and where, you know, where people with large estates tend to gather. And, um, and so I had this client, and we were doing a re-roofing job on his house. Now, where I lived was in Saginaw, is 52 miles from my door to Prosper, okay? And this 6,500-square-foot house with 12-pitch roof, we're ripping off all of the roof, all of the underlayment, and putting back on new underlayment and a new roof. You do the math, the number of nails in the transaction is somewhere around 1.5 million nails, okay? A lot of nails are being ripped off and a lot of nails are being put back on, okay? And I got this frantic call when we were near the end of the project. And um, the customer called me, was cussing me left and right, up and down, just frantic, frustrated, rude, the whole thing, because his daughter had stepped on a nail. So my first question is, is she hurt? No, not hurt, just in the shoe. Okay. But you better come up here and make this right and clean this up. So I drive. It's 530 in the evening, so rush hour traffic in DFW. That's as bad as 35 in Austin, trust me. I drive 51 miles. I get there uh, an hour and 45 minutes later. It's like 7, 7, 15 in the evening by this point. 
and I roll this giant magnet. Now, if you've ever seen roofers, they have this little magnet with wheels, and they, they walk it around to try to pick up any loose nails that might be in the area because you can't really comb through quickly with your hand. So they have a super powerful magnet to pick up anything metal. And I'm, and I'm wheeling it around the house, and I spend about 35 minutes just, I mean, just in depth with a power magnet, just cleaning. Do you know how many nails I found? Two. So that means out of 1.5 million nails, there were three, including the one in the little girl's shoe, that were left out. And so I, I, I talk to my client and I say, hey, you know, I, I made sure, you know, we came up here. I want to make sure we do everything we can to make whatever you're experiencing right. But I got to tell you, I drove an hour and a half. I did another 35 minutes worth of work. And of the 1.5 million nails that were exchanged in this transaction of a new roof on your house, there were three left out. Like those percentages are really, really good. And you won't find another construction company that will beat that, I promise. And so while I want to make things right, I, I also want you to know I, I didn't appreciate your call and the way that you spoke to me. And so here's what I want to make sure that I, you know that I heard. I heard that you love your daughter. I heard your frustration and your lament over the situation is because something may have happened to your little girl. Now, is that really the issue or is the issue that there were three nails out? And he just took a deep breath. Put it that bluntly, it's I, my call was because of my daughter, not because there were three nails out. The end of this lament, the end of the prayer of chapter five, the end of this reader's theater meant to be used in worship ends with these four verses. But Lord, you remain the same forever. Your throne continues from generation to generation. It's a truth. Verse 20. Why do you continue to forget us? Why have you abandoned us for so long? It's an emotion. Restore us, O Lord, and bring us back to you again. Give us back the joys we once had. It's a prayer based on truth. And the very last line of Lamentations. Or have you utterly rejected us? Are you angry with us still? the question, isn't it? Has God completely forgotten us? 
and our plight, when things, when it all hits the fan, when it's all going wrong, when someone's doing something and it's happening to you, when, when the world is not right, has God completely and utterly rejected us? You know what I love about the end of Lamentations? This raw emotional question, it's more than just a rhetorical question. It validates all the emotion that you have about when things aren't right because it leads to a bigger truth. We've been going for five weeks through the book of Lamentations. And have you noticed something? Now, we've read every chapter but this one in its entirety out loud. Have you noticed something? Most of the scriptures have the voice of the people and then the voice of God speaking back. In the entirety of Lamentations, where is the voice of God speaking back? He wasn't there. It was just us. Because when we only live in our emotion. We get in these cycles where we tend to Velcro to the worst possible scenario. Anybody do that in your world? We tend to um, focus on what's wrong and it becomes a bigger and bigger and bigger problem that now seems insurmountable. Anybody been there? See, lamentation validates our emotion, but it's meant to lead us to a bigger truth. So the end question, are we totally lost? It is expressing the fear and the shame that we are feeling, but it's, it's asking the question, God, how are you going to answer? Here's how God answers. In Christ, right? This is from 1 John 4, 18. Perfect love casts out all fear. The early church, they, that's, that's who the nature of Christ is, that he cast out all fear. See, in spite of our feelings, our fear and our shame, God's word, it leads us into this truth, and we can train our feelings to submit to reality because of the presence of God. The poet in Lamentations, he knows this verse by heart in Deuteronomy 31.6. It says this. You want to hit that next slide there for me? There we go. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified, for the Lord your God goes with you. And everybody say this last part with me. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The, the poet who writes this lament, who finishes the line, have you completely and utterly rejected us, he knows this prayer, this, this promise by God by heart. Now, the people who are writing this lamentation, ultimately, they experience something 
because there is in the book of Nehemiah a restoration of the walls and in the book of Ezra a rebuilding of the temple and the people of God. They experience it. And check this out. By the time you get to Isaiah, God's answer is so profound. Check this out. It says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has borne? The answer is yes. Though a mom may forget about her kid, I, this is God speaking, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. In other words, at least symbolically, God has tattooed your name on his body. That is a long memory. I've heard it said that when people go through Air Force uh, survival training, that they train in this kind of rule of threes. So uh, in a survival situation, you can last three weeks without food, three days without water, three hours without shelter in extreme conditions, and three minutes without air. But you can't last three seconds without hope. You can't last three seconds without hope. So our laments, our ability to say to God, to be honest about where we're feeling, to say, have you completely forgotten us to be fully present in the moment? Our laments expose a reality that hope is necessary. And here's what we can hope for. We are invited into God's answer. I want to invite the, the band to come back up. We, we are invited into God's answer. See, we built this wailing wall. And we brought all of our prayers before God. And if you notice, the prayers and the paper that we stuck in here, they're, they're no longer here. They're no longer here because Jesus, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, he sees, he hears, he doesn't ignore. Jesus himself cries out from the cross. And this is in Matthew. And he's quoting a psalm. And while Jesus is hanging from the cross, he says, Elioi, Elioi, Lama Sabachthani, which means my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? It's a massive answer by God to say, me too.
me too. All laments lead to a prayer for things to be made right at the cross. All laments lead to a prayer for things to be made right at the cross. All shame, all fear, all things. See, we, you and I, we get to collapse and get to see the fall of our brokenness when we fall on the only one who restores all things. And so the promise of God is that when we're hurt, when we are broken, when we see the world not as it should be, and we are honest about it, we get this resounding answer that says, me too. I'm with you when it's broken. I'm present when it hurts. I'm also there when you restore it and when it's right. And the only one that we can fully collapse on and trust that in the end all things are made new again is the promise of Jesus 